So the scripture reading today is Luke 13. It starts in verse 22. He went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying through Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you would begin to say, We ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last." At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, Go and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I will finish my course. Nevertheless, I will go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem." Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken, and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Good morning, Cross Fellowship. Um, last time that I spoke, um, I had the opportunity to speak on God's love, his care and his goodness, his kindness and concern for his children. And the easier passage um, to preach as you bring encouragement and love to overwhelm the hearts of his people. But when we come to a passage like this, I will tell you that it is sobering. It is meant to be sobering. And we don't stray or dodge around what the texts teach. This is part of the reason that we believe in expositional preaching. We take a book of the Bible and we preach through it and we preach the entire counsel of God. I grew up in a home that was filled with love and laughter and jokingness. If you've been around me much, you probably see some of that flavor come out. But I will tell you, there is nothing more sobering for me than the salvation of souls. That will sober me up so quick. And the reason is, is that I hope that you hear this morning not from a man that is trying to exposit the word and come down on you, 
But I hope that you hear from a man that found himself in this very place that was truly believing that I was right with God and would have been one of these pleading my case before God and he would have said to me, depart from me, I don't know you. So when I say this, I tell you this with a sobering reality and I know that there are people sitting in this service, in this church, that have had this same experience of believing that they were right with God and they weren't. When it comes to salvation, neither myself nor you get to dictate how salvation works, how it goes, how to explain it, how to deal with it, but the truth that is found from the words of Jesus, the very word of God, is what shapes and forms the church's understanding of how salvation works. If you're new with us here this morning, we um, have invited you to turn to the book of Luke, chapter 13. You have the outline in front of you of my thoughts, my heart. This is what I believe the text is communicating. So if I don't necessarily communicate it that way, just know that that's what I intended to say or that's what my heart was meaning to say as I um, believe that I've tried to put some words to what I think the text is trying to communicate. But I will tell you that as I am 54 years old, um, 14 years ago, I came into a saving relationship of, with Jesus Christ, believing that at age seven I had finally come to saving faith. I have entitled this message, Will You Be Among the Saved? I believe that that captures the heart of what's going on here. Um, as I told you, I have experienced this. I've witnessed many people that have experienced um, salvation later in life, believing that they were saved. And I believe that salvation is um, so important. It's one of the most important subjects and areas to deal with in people's lives that you could possibly get. So again, if you're here with us for the first time, we've been making our way through Luke. And what I will remind you is the context is that Jesus' face was set towards Jerusalem. There's a reason. He's determined on his journey not to be deterred or, or distracted from moving towards Jerusalem. The closer he gets to Jerusalem, the greater the opposition and threats come on his life. The impact that he has had on so many lives at this time have become mind-blowing. He has made so many radical changes for people, showing mercy, healing, forgiving, feeding, casting out demons, curing sickness and diseases showing genuine goodness to mankind. And at the same time, he has been teaching the true way into God's kingdom, which stands in direct opposition with the religious teaching of the day. If one is paying careful attention as we make our way through Luke's gospel, 
And I mentioned last time I spoke that Jesus, in teaching the true way into the kingdom, I said this, that he has actually been closing the door, excluding many people, so that anyone that try to get in that uses any other way but the way that he teaches, he has closed the door to them to get into the kingdom. And this is strategic. Helping people seeing the impossibility of getting in on their own with him doing the healing, him doing the helping, him doing the rejecting, him doing the accepting, puts all the attention upon him. The religious system of the day and trying to teach people into the kingdom by rules and regulations had actually removed the truth. And it was working the opposite of God, actually keeping people out of the kingdom. We saw that in chapter 11, verse 52. Jesus, in closing the door, by removing any hope in man's ability, is actually opening the door by helping people see that their only hope is to be placed somewhere else. Humanity, this is the truth of God's word, humanity has a built-in internal hope radar searching for hope to latch onto at any, at any point. Christians would do well to model the pattern of Christ in continuing to show people the only door to the kingdom of God by keeping all other doors closed for people. The way Jesus has been closing the doors by telling people about the perfection that God requires and what the kingdom of God is actually like. He himself is the very word of God. Jesus has continued to reject anyone who will not leave the comforts of this life. Anyone who will not put him over the loyalty of their physical family. Jesus rejects anyone who still desires their old life. He rejects anyone who rejects his disciples. He rejects anyone who will not keep God's law. He rejects anyone who is blaming God. He rejects anyone who continues to test God. He rejects anyone, as we saw when I preached, the hypocrites, the greedy people, anyone who won't acknowledge him publicly. He rejects anyone who won't repent and trust in him as their Messiah. He continues to shut the door, showing people the perfection required. And as we learned last week, as Eric taught, that the kingdom of God is not meant to keep people in bondage. As you remember, Jesus gave two parables teaching that the kingdom of God is filled with protection and security for those in it. He also spoke of the freedom that people would find in it. People also in his kingdom would be settled in for the long haul. They built nests in the tree of Jesus. Jesus also spoke of the kingdom of being a beautiful inner hidden change for its people as opposed to external rule following that produces unkindness towards others. It is unstoppable and it will continue to spread. You can't stop the kingdom of God. As Jesus continues to journey towards Jerusalem, stopping in various places along the way, this unidentified person 
which brings us to our text today, ask this question to Jesus. Let's look at verses 22 and 23. We'll look at them again. He went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. The he there is Jesus. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? This person's question suddenly feels like a genuine concern for how difficult Jesus is making it for people to get into the kingdom of God. At the same time, Jesus has been demonstrating the beauty and the kindness of the kingdom by healing, forgiving, helping, feeding, loving, and defending, showing God's mercy and compassion towards people. The question this person wants to know is how many people will actually get in there? In other words, there's a concern for heaven's population when the door keeps getting narrower and narrower. If according to Jesus, the Jewish population is being rejected right and left to be in the kingdom of God, then what does that say for the rest of the world? What about the Gentiles? If he's the king of the kingdom, he seems to be closing the door on anyone who can get in. The person that asked him recognizes him as Lord, you see that in the text, but is wondering just how narrow is this door going to get? Application. How wide? Honestly, are you believing that that door is open today? Unfortunately, today in America, I believe that we are feeling the effects of past generations that have taken it upon themselves to foolishly open the door to God's kingdom, stepping into the shoes of God and creating various other ways such as altar calls, sinner's prayers, water baptism, raised with Christian parents, and a whole host of other wide doors that never by God intended to be opened. Notice how Jesus answers this person about how many are actually saved. Let's look at his response. Verse 24, strive to enter through the narrow door. Here's the reason. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Jesus tells the man to strive to enter through the narrow door. This is an interesting response to the question, will those... Who who are saved be few. Jesus first tells the person, you need to make sure that you're going to be there. Hence the title of the message. In other words, the way is so narrow you might find yourself excluded from God's table. This begs the question with salvation on the line, how narrow is narrow? Salvation for the nation Israel has always been by way of trusting God, both nationally and individually. God has always been Israel's salvation. It has always been understood if God doesn't save Israel, then Israel won't be saved. 
Jesus is saying that there is a door to enter indicating that people are naturally on the outside of the door, needing to enter the correct and only narrow door. Jesus starts by sharing the dangers of entering the wrong door. Jesus is specific here about getting which door, about which door is to be entered, directly related to the question about salvation. He says the only way to enter the eternal kingdom is through this narrow door. Jesus is specific about getting this door right due to the tragedy of multitudes who knew full well about this wonderful kingdom of God and yet are sadly denied entrance. In other words, it could be easy to miss the one and only narrow door. Other doors are wide open and will lead to a singular other place. But for now, the one narrow door that is leading to eternal kingdom of God is still open. Jesus is telling this person to respond quickly before time could become a closed door. The Bible does speak of a legal limit on sin for people. This is the reason not to delay the response of God by repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible does teach that there can come a time when the activity of God's pursuit in a person can be shut off. This isn't a popular message. This isn't many time one that gets to be brought to the light, but here we come to this passage today and we do find it in the Word of God. Isaiah 55, 6 through 9 says, Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. There are reasons for those words to be there. Romans 1 speaks three times of God giving people over to their sinful desires. 1 Thessalonians 2.16 speaks of people who continue to reject the gospel and become a hindrance. The, Paul, the Apostle Paul says that they always fill all the way up their measure of sin. Hebrews 12.17 speaks of Esau. For you know that afterward when he, that's Esau, desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Some of the saddest words in Scripture. Jesus was adamant about people not denying the convicting work of the Holy Spirit in one's life. Let's look at verse 25, see what Jesus says there. These are God's words, not mine. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you. I do not know where you come from. Jesus explains the striving to enter through the narrow doors directly connected to this master of the house. 
rising and closing the door. The more a person resists God, the harder the heart gets. You may be here and you know that you need to be in a church that will tell you the truth and yet you reject by coming up with every excuse you can come up with to hear and avoid the truth. These Jewish people who are in front of him, the nation that received more direct work of God than any other people on the face of the planet, were intended by God to enjoy the blessing of His presence in Jesus and receive the eternal kingdom through the salvation provided by God Himself, will find themselves tragically on the outside knocking at the door to be open to them. I want you to feel the impact as Jesus is telling these people who are standing in His presence, hearing directly from His mouth that they need to repent and believe in Him, confessing Him as the blessed one sent by God, and the majority of people are actually not doing it. Jesus then tells this group of people that they will find themselves on the outside of God's eternal kingdom, knocking at the very door that they had rejected earlier by not responding quickly to the truth. Jesus then gives us a, particular, a picture of this conversation through the door, them asking for the Lord of the kingdom, Please, please open it up. Tragically, would there be someone in this room caught in a conversation like this between themselves and Christ? Good application of this passage would be to plead with people not to put off what God is prompting you to do. Or you might find yourself later saying these exact same words. Open to me. Imagine this. It is none other than Jesus' voice who is the one speaking back to them. Imagine the surprise for some people being told to surrender their lives now to the Lordship of Jesus only to find it is also Him that they actually have to get past in the entrance of the kingdom. What an incredible surprise when they hear his voice. I do not know where you come from. How about you? If I preach this passage right, it must be understood that there could be some here that will hear these words from the mouth of Jesus himself. This is not the ridiculous joke that St. Peter's at the gate making the decision of where people go. It's the master of the house, Jesus Christ, that people have to get past. The sheer terror and sobering words that many will hear with the negative response from the God of the kingdom, you come from somewhere I don't know. In other words, you didn't come through the narrow door. For many, this will be a serious problem when upon hearing these words, people will try to begin to justify themselves, argue with God and plead their case before Jesus, the final judge, I hope, dear friend, that this will be no one here. Let's look at verses 26 and 27 as we continue making our way through this passage. Then you will begin to say, But Lord, we ate and drank in your presence. You taught in our streets. But he will say to you, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. There is no other way to be justified before God. 
except by way of coming through the narrow door. Jesus is letting these people know that being around him at dinner parties or listening to him speak is not the same thing as entering through the narrow door. These people actually had the privilege of physically seeing and hearing Jesus and believed that hopefully being around his presence would have a factor in how Jesus should give some leeway on them making their entrance into God's kingdom. Outward contact with the message and person of Jesus will accomplish you nothing. You will not be justified by being around God's people. How tragic it will be for some today to have had the works of God happening all around you. If you've listened to preaching for years and there is still no response of you coming through the narrow door and repenting and coming to Jesus for forgiveness of your sins, for your heart crying out and confessing publicly Him as your greatest need. It should be understood from this next verse how tragic it will be that no amount of pleading will be accepted when a person has come into final judgment time of their souls. God would cease to be just. Please know this about God. He would cease to be just at any point if he began to make exceptions for these Jewish people in front of him. I remember the words of Billy Graham. He said, he, if God doesn't punish people, he would owe Sodom and Gomorrah a great apology. It is true. You can rest assured he will not make any exception for you. The only way to be justified before God is for you to throw yourself at the mercy of Jesus and by His grace come through the cleansing power of the precious blood of Christ. This is called salvation. It what happens when a person enters through the narrow door. If you do not come through the only way of the narrow door of Jesus, the response from the divine will not change. It remains the same. Malachi 3.6 says, For I, the Lord, change not. The master of the house tells them again where their problem is by repeating that he does not know where they come from. This does not mean that godly, suddenly God has a mental block. It does not mean that he... But it does mean that he recognizes them as not belonging to himself. They don't belong to him, and nor will they share a spot at the table of his banquet. In fact... What the person can expect to hear is the last command that he will ever give them. From the last part of this verse is the command for all eternity to leave his presence. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. Jesus has made it clear for people to be obedient to his word or there will be consequences. Man is given a choice to make, obey or face Jesus in the final judgment and be punished. Notice in this command, the people are no longer given the opportunity for a choice. The command isn't asking man to make this choice as though I would like for you to leave my presence. Would you please leave now? Even if you don't believe it, this command comes with the same sovereign authority God has over one's physical life. God has the power to accomplish His authority by simply the power of His spoken word. As soon as God says, depart from me by His sovereign power, this enemy of His is now ushered 
into another place where God is reserved for all evil. You are fully responsible for what you have believed. Let's look at verse 38. I'm sorry, 28. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourself cast out. When Jesus says depart, those who have not heeded in response to properly repent and believe, in this context were people who are fully expecting to get into the kingdom of God, they will be forced to leave his presence and placed in a real, we believe in a real, physical location that has been reserved by God to experience, experience eternal torment and punishment. I want to read to you a passage in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verses 5 through 10. Paul says, this is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom. This is for his Christians for which you are now also suffering since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the Lord, the glory of his might. This place that Jesus is referring to is hell. Regardless of what popular belief thinks, Jesus teaches that these people who are placed there with will experience both emotional and physical suffering for the rest of eternity. Say, Mike, how do you know that? We can see this by his words, weeping. That's the emotional. The gnashing of teeth, that's the physical. Jesus then adds the painful conscience, understanding that they will be fully aware. Get this picture. Jesus is teaching that they will be fully aware that the patriarchs, and the prophets, and all those who have truly believed. And somehow they have totally missed the message that was communicated to them, and they themselves are cast out. At this point, someone might object and wonder if the message was clear enough to hold people to that kind of punishment. First of all, that kind of punishment for an eternity reveals just how holy, holy, holy God is. Second, mankind who is evil is not qualified to tell God what is right and wrong. Third of all, if God did not spare his own son who is perfect, but he punished him for an eternity's worth for the sin of other people. He is not going to cut anyone any slack for 
not seeking the narrow door yourself. God will hold man responsible for what he has believed. The ability to see the patriarchs and prophets in the kingdom will suddenly be the realization that these people were believing the wrong thing. But in case you're still wondering if this message was clear, let's read verses 29 through 30. And people, this is amazing. Look at this, these shocking words. And people will come from east and west, from north and south, and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. Let me tell you something. Truly, it will be as Jesus said. Not because the preacher says it, but it's because it's the Word of God. There could be people in this room that will experience these very words from God. And you might wonder, will God really punish me for an eternity? That would be foolish to take your chance on that. If there are people here that believe that you can be around church people, believe that you can go to church all your life, believe that you can be in a Christian environment, and that should be good enough, rather than in your heart you know that you've never repented and trusted in the Lordship of Jesus Christ, this message would be for you to turn now and repent and come to saving faith in Jesus. If you're wondering, how in the world would I miss it? And will I have an excuse before God? God says that there will be people from all over the face of the planet that will come into his kingdom. And you will be outside, visibly looking into the kingdom of God, and saying, those people must have heard it. And they did. They would not be there if they did not hear the truth. There will be no excuse for people to try to claim to God, I didn't hear the truth when there are people from all over the face of the planet. Imagine, maybe someone here is a proud American, not getting in the kingdom and God offering grace to the humble Zambian. <laughs> that is gloriously accepted or a Muslim or a Hindu or a Buddhist. But you know what? God offers salvation for Presbyterians, Methodists, Baptists, you name it. God is offering salvation for all people. Will you be, if we preach the passage right, the hopes would be is that you would not be on the outside of the kingdom. How tragic it would be for Cross Fellowship Church if there was someone sitting right here that would miss people. We don't desire, love what Brother Paul Washer said, we don't take the edge off of the Word of God. Tragically, I think the churches have done that. They have removed the edge. You say you're preaching hard. Listen, that's not my words. You see what the passage is. I didn't say it. Please don't reject. Please don't reject what God has said. I'm telling you as a man that is standing here, believed I was right, would have fought you tooth and nail that I was right, that I was a Christian and I wasn't. 14 years ago, God broke me. My life was filled with sin. 
So many times from the pulpit, I believe that this has happened in churches today. They blend too much of, of not holding the difference between sanctification and justification. Jesus is talking in this passage that you must enter through the narrow door. There must be a time when a person is justified first. You cannot try to slip into another door and then sanctify yourself, making yourself pure and clean. If the last thing that you hear in this message is that I'm telling you to pick yourself up by your bootstraps, dust yourself off by the knees, straighten yourself up, and begin to continue when you need to come back to this beginning point of justification, it would serve the church well if we hold this separate again and teach that people need to be first justified by the Lord Jesus Christ. If you are here and you are trusting in anything, you have said in this service, listen to the words of Christ, and the hopes would be that you are tired of playing games with God, and that you will no longer, church, I'm not angry, I'm pleading with you from a man that has been there. I love people. Please, I, I just hope, praise God if we had 100% regenerate in this service, but if there is someone here that has never had this beginning point of coming to Christ and Christ alone, if I asked you, how will you get into this kingdom and there is any other words than Jesus Christ, you will be cast into outer darkness. I don't want that for anyone. God will hold man fully responsible for what he has believed. The ability to see the patriarchs and the prophets will suddenly be the realization that these people were believing the wrong thing. The gospel or message has been received by others. I received it. I'm not specially anything. I'm nothing. I was a sinner saved by grace. There are people in this room that have been converted We've had people, you wonder, why do we, listen, it's wrong for the church just to completely assume that everybody's Christians. You get a passage like this, it teaches and shapes the church that we do not just accept. There have been people, there's someone in this church right now sitting present here that was converted through the membership process. There's a reason that we just don't have the gates so wide open that we do nothing. Does that mean that that's foolproof? No. But for heaven's sakes, church, the floodgates for Jesus says that it is narrow. We need to hear confession. If you're wondering, why is your membership process so tough to get in? Well, it's not tough to get in. Are you a Christian? If you are, there should be no problem. It's amazing. I have had conversations with people confronting of sin, and you will not believe the fangs and the claws that come out and the defense of people trying to justify themselves. I had one guy tell me, Do you know, Mike, how smart I am? Really? Did that just get said? I'm telling you, people are hanging and holding on to all kinds of ways to get into the kingdom. What the scripture teaches us is that God's table will be comfortable, secure, and filled with all kinds of people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. That's why we send people. 
This statement could have escalated the hatred towards Jesus, especially from the Jews, that Jesus would speak of God's kingdom being filled with other people and they themselves are not at this great wedding feast. What about you? Will others from all over the world come and you yourself be left out? That's what you're meant to feel about this passage. If you are here and you have a problem with the redeemed, being murderous, rapists, child molesters, adulterers, gossips, backstabbers, evildoers, drunkards, extortionists, legalists, prostitutes, hypocrites, and a whole host of other sinners that have responded to the gospel message of Jesus, filling being the population of the kingdom, you might want to consider, have you yourself truly come through the narrow door, being cleansed of your self-righteousness? Jesus then shares this shocking statement in verse 30 about the future kingdom. Behold, some are last who will be first, and some who are first will be last. He says it will be completely reversed when he returns. Basically, Jesus is assuring this person that asked him, if those who are saved will be few, Jesus is assuring that his kingdom will be nothing like what is visible today. His kingdom gives a description of those who come from the four corners of the earth to sit at his great banquet table. They were some of the least ones positionally during their time on earth will suddenly be elevated into his precious arms. And also those who were first in context was the Jews. The Apostle Paul made that clear, Jews first, then the Gentiles. His kingdom... In context, they missed the promised kingdom by missing their opportunity to surrender their hearts and lives to the king of the kingdom, Jesus Christ. Can you imagine believing all your life that you are right with God and you fully anticipate being at his table only to find yourself cast out and you are consciously aware of others from all over the earth entering God's kingdom? Hell will be filled with people experiencing a flood of emotions, weeping and angrily gnashing of teeth, realizing only too late that they missed the narrow door. Of all the doors in life that people are faced with to make choices, there is one door that God certainly has made it clear for people not to miss. Jesus says, strive to enter through the narrow door. What door, honestly, are you believing in? What door have you believed that you have entered? Does God actually care about those who are self-righteous, trying to get themselves into the kingdom by way of following external rules? We come to this next section in verses 31 and 35, and we again have some Pharisees show up. If you remember, Jesus went on his way from the Pharisees, journeying through towns, preaching and teaching the way into the kingdom, making his way towards Jerusalem. The last encounter that Luke tells us about the Pharisees was back in chapter 11, verses 39 through 53, where Jesus calls them hypocrites, and they are said to be lying in wait to catch him and to provoke him. Also in chapter 13 that Eric spoke on last week and verse 17, the Pharisees would be included in the phrase, all his adversaries who were angry at Jesus for healing on the Sabbath. These Pharisees gave a wrong picture of God's kingdom as do other legalists. 
As Jesus healed a woman who had been bound for 18 years, he gave a correct picture of God's kingdom that was different than observing a particular day, but he taught that healing comes through God alone found in the person of Jesus Christ. In other words, God's kingdom is not like what religious hypocrites display from the outside trying to push religion onto the inside. It's an inward hidden beauty that God changes from the inside out. Some Pharisees are now telling Jesus to leave. They tell him or warn him that now Herod wants to kill him. Let's look as we continue this story in verse 31. Look at verse 31 with me. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here. Herod wants to kill you. Jesus has just warned the nation about the way into the kingdom for salvation is through the narrow door while the window of opportunity is open for them. He has also just told them that you will want to be sure that you will be among those that seated at the king's table and not left outside the door knocking. Luke now places this section here and connects it to it because he says, in that very hour. He places it showing the same time that Jesus is issuing a warning, Jesus receives a warning from Herod, from the Pharisees that Herod seeks to kill him. We should note that the Pharisees had no problem to approach God with a message from a wicked man. But would they stand with God in the person of Jesus and deliver a message back from him the other way? Kind of feels like Moses. I, can, I can't be certain, but it kind of feels like in this context of rejection that these Pharisees are trying to use Herod to drive Jesus away. Remember, Jesus is leaving Galilee. This particular Herod is from Galilee. Jesus is headed towards Jerusalem. This is the same Herod that killed John the Baptist. If this is true, that these Pharisees are coming to Jesus using Herod to say, get away from here. Herod wants to kill you. What they're doing, in essence, is rejecting Jesus, pushing him further. If this is true, what excuse are you using to continue to reject Jesus to be on the throne of your life? Let's read verses 32 and 33 as we continue. And he said to them, this is amazing from Christ, go and tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow and the third day. I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. The message that Jesus gives back to King Herod reveals first his view of that king in comparison to himself. <laughs> Jesus calls him a fox. Herod is not casting the demons out of people or helping them. Herod is not providing miraculous healings for people who have been tormented for 18 years. 
Herod is not forgiving and compassionate and loving and caring and honest and just in all that he does. Jesus tells these Pharisees, choose your king. Jesus tells the people, as the king of kings, I am the authority over your demons. I am the lover of your soul. I am the forgiver of sins. I am compassionate. I am loving, caring, honest, and just. Come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give rest for your souls that you so desperately need. I ask you, dear friend, what kind of lesser king are you listening to the advice of today? Are you continuing to try to push Jesus away because you are following the advice or trying to use that as an excuse? Following any other king other than King Jesus will land you in that place of outer darkness. Jesus refused to turn from the very course that he came to accomplish. That's why he states the words, I finish my course. Jesus tells this group, nevertheless, no matter what king you choose, Jesus' course is set towards Jerusalem. Like the other prophets before him that carried the same message from God to his people, calling them to repent and trust, through rejection these other prophets would lose their life. Jesus would be no exception. Finishing his course, get this, of bringing salvation for God's people, would actually be a course, a direct course for Jerusalem to die for the very people that would reject him. My dear friends, this is the very heart of the gospel. Jesus died for your and my salvation. The very purpose for Christ's coming was to die in place of people, a sacrifice in a place of sinners. The question that was asked at the beginning, will those who are saved be few? Jesus' answer, strive to enter through the narrow door. My friends, that narrow door into the kingdom of God is through Jesus himself who died in Jerusalem for Jews and Gentiles even though you have heard this over and over and over and this is burned into your mind. I hope and pray that it would move to the hearts of anyone here that may be on the outside of the kingdom knocking. Again, the text is asking and communicating to its original hearer, which was the most excellent Theophilus. If you remember back in chapter 1, verse 3, the question that's being asked is, what door have you entered? Let's look at the text closely and see exactly what's going on and apply it. There are some Pharisees here that are described as seemingly trying to protect Jesus from Herod. In fact, Luke records for us that they actually publicly came and had voiced it. The problem is, Jesus doesn't need protected from anyone. Jesus doesn't need, Jesus is not the one that needs protected from Herod. It's Herod needs protected from the wrath as well as the Pharisees and everyone else. Trying to manipulate Jesus to be who you want him to be is a clear sign that you will be among, not be among the saved. You in trying to be in control of him is a sign that you will be among those who will hear eternally weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's read verses 34 and 35 as we make our way through the last of this message. 
Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. What an incredible lament for, of, out of Christ's mouth. The city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken. And I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In case you're wondering what the heart posture is of God in regarding people who have not submitted their lives to Jesus Christ the King, it's one that is, which is breaking. God still sins and uses people today. The message preached today should be understood as a call again to some here to come clean and stop trying to make Jesus the Lord that you want him to be. But accept him as the Lord that he is. As Jesus calls Jerusalem to stop rejecting him and treasure him above all else, he's also calling you to submit your life to be entirely devoted to him. I want you to get this picture. <clears throat> Jesus calls Herod a fox. He says for himself that he is a hen that would be delighted to gather people in under his wings. I want you to picture this if you can. Picture a fox in the hen house. That fox is after whatever he can get his hands on. And Jesus is claiming for people, if you will come under my wings, I want you to picture the great sacrifice that Christ gave. As the fox comes into the hen house and desires to devour, that hen brings her children under her wings and is willing to be devoured by the fox so that the fox will not hurt the children. What a glorious picture of the gospel of Christ is Jesus hung on the cross receiving the wrath of God Wave after wave after wave, and he died giving his life that those that would come and be gathered up under his wings would be gloriously saved from the wrath to come. There is something much greater than Herod that is coming. It's called the wrath of God and eternal punishment in hell. Church, we believe in a real hell. We believe in a real punishment. If you are here, and you are hearing this message, know that there's been one sent that is pleading with you from his heart. Don't turn away from what God is doing. Come under the wings of Jesus Christ, the hen that will give his life to save people from all eternity of being tormented and punished. In hell, will you bow your heads with me? <clears throat> God, you, you know 
the hearts that are here. I cannot peer into the hearts of anyone. We see their fruit. We know them by their fruit. We see the external works. But God, you see everything from beginning to end. You know who those are here, who are yours, who belong to you. We thank you as a church, Cross Fellowship Church, God, that we cannot give salvation. We ourselves have to come under the submission and lordship of Jesus, trusting in his finished work on the cross. I pray, Lord, if there is one here, that these words would not be found as no hope, but God is the beautiful hymn that is pictured in the end of this passage that that's a picture of you. that is greater than anything anyone can ever go through. I pray, God, that if there is one here that doesn't genuinely know you, that your grace would fall, that you would break hearts, and that you would bring some under your saving precious blood that you spilt on the cross. I thank you for this message, a beautiful reminder of the church the importance to know, God, that there are lost people around us at all times. I pray that you would use this message in a way that only you receive the glory. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.